Al Jazeera Podcasts. Pakistan carries out strikes inside Iran. Islamabad says it's in retaliation to attacks by Tehran inside its country. Both nations say they're targeting separatist armed groups. But what might the consequences be? And can they be contained? I'm Elizabeth Puranam, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. We have a panel of distinguished experts on Inside Story today. In Lahore, Pakistan, Ahmed Rashid is a preeminent expert on armed groups in Pakistan, Afghanistan and Central Asia and is a former resident of Balochistan. In Pakistan's capital, Islamabad, Maliha Lodi is a veteran diplomat and columnist for the Dawn newspaper and website. And joining us from Mashhad in northeastern Iran is Mohammad Mirandi, professor of the University of Tehran. A very warm welcome to the program. Mr. Rashid, I'll start with you in Lahore. Are the two sides even now that Pakistan has retaliated or does the Pakistani strike raise the risk of escalation? Well, the problem is that, uh, yes, there is an international dimension to this conflict, which you've just raised. But what, what is being uh, ignored very much by the media and by, by uh, other experts is the, uh, the local paradigm, which is much more complicated. For example, it's the fact that these, each state, Iran and Pakistan, have been bombing their own citizens. They've been bombing them uh, in their respective countries, but uh, they've been bombing them themselves. Both countries, Iran and Pakistan, have faced terrorist threats from within the Baloch community, um, and they have failed to deal with them, and they have failed to win a victory against these extremists and terrorists. However, the bulk of Baloch, both in Iran and in Pakistan, are not terrorists. They are probably the most poorest um, ethnic group in South Asia. Uh, they've been deprived of education, of development, of um, of almost everything. And much of their protest is aimed at trying to get attention to the fact that they are being deprived. Right now, in Islamabad, there's a massive demonstration of, of Baloch women who have, uh, who have done a sit-down uh, in a bid to um, uh, garner attention to the fact that their husbands, their male relatives, have been missing for many years. So these kinds of things, as long as they go on, in, in mm -hmm. Iran, it's the same situation. All right. Let me put that to Mahila Lodi in Islamabad. By carrying out these uh, retaliatory strikes, I suppose, by Pakistan, is Pakistan attacking groups that are fighting for greater autonomy or even independence from Pakistan? Is it attacking its own people, as Mr. Rashid is saying? I think we need to keep the focus on what's happened between Iran and Pakistan. We need to uh, first acknowledge that Iran fired the first shot, as it were, uh, and created a situation to which Pakistan was compelled to respond. For many years, in fact, militant groups have had sanctuaries on both sides of the border. At least that's been the accusation of one country against the other. And I think the surprise element was that when Iran conducted this strike on Pakistani territory, there was, in fact, a high-level Iranian delegation in Islamabad. And Pakistan and Iran were also holding joint military exercises. So several channels of communication were open between uh, Islamabad and Tehran to address this issue, which, of course, uh, remains unresolved and needs to be addressed. As I said, there are militant groups 
Pakistan accuses Iran of providing sanctuary to militant groups on its side of the border. And Iran also accuses Pakistan of providing a haven for, or at least these uh, militant groups are to be found on the Pakistani side of the border, according to Iran. So I think this unresolved issue is really at the heart of what has happened. But what has happened has happened. Pakistan took a proportionate response to what Iran had done. And I think now we're looking at a pause. I don't think it's in the interest of either country to further escalate the situation or to inflame the situation. So we have to wait and see how and when de-escalation begins to take place, because I don't think we are going to see any further escalation in this situation. Mr. Mirandi, what do you say to that? And uh, what Ms. Lodi is saying is that there were many open channels of communication between Iran and Pakistan, and yet Iran chose to carry out the strike on Pakistani soil, despite calling Pakistan a friendly and a brotherly country. Why did it do that? Well, there are two or three things here. First, going back to what Ahmed said, he is correct that these, this area in Pakistan and Iran is more backward than other parts of the, these two countries. Uh, one reason is the American sanctions, by the way, because Iran and Pakistan uh, were planning to have a major gas pipeline, uh, and Americans blocked it. And so a lot of things that can be done between the two countries aren't being done, and that makes this area a dead end. Uh, the second is that uh, the this attack that uh, took place on from the Iranian side, it comes within a context. The Israelis, ever since the genocide began in Gaza and the war began, they've been mobilizing to retaliate against Iran because Iran supports Hamas. Iran helps them. That's why they're able to build tunnels and they have defense capabilities. Iran supports uh, Yemen. It supports Hezbollah. We all know that. And so Israel wants to retaliate, and they've been activating terror groups in Kurdish areas in Iraq, where the Iraqi central government has less control, and alongside the Pakistani border, where the Pakistani government has less, it's less governed, partially because Pakistan has is focused on India, and also like us, it has problems with Afghanistan. The border, border area is a problem, and there are many Pakistanis who come to Iran for economic, as rec, economic because of economic problems. So there's a, there's a long, large Pakistani community alongside the border. Very but are poor. you saying, Mr. Morandi, that Israel has groups that it controls on the border between Iran and Pakistan, that it can ask that yes, it has Iran, such control? Yes, yes, Israel does fund elements of ISIS. Uh, it does ele fund elements within the Kurdish separatist groups, and it does fund uh, Jaish al-Ad. Before, Jaish al-Ad was also funded by countries in the Persian Gulf, uh, some countries, but that's ended. And ISIS and Jaish al-Ad both are Wahhabi groups. That funding has ended. There's nothing coming from any country in the Persian Gulf region anymore, as far as I know. OK, but let me put let me put what you're yes, saying. Let me put what you're saying to Mr. Rashid. What do you think um, of what Mr. Morandi is saying, that Israel funds groups, including Jaish al-Adil, and that they are acting on behalf of Israel and that uh, Pakistan doesn't have control of the uh, security in Balochistan? Is, 
Is that true, despite Balochistan being one, if not the most militarized regions in Pakistan? Well, certainly, um, Balochistan has become extremely militarized because um, within the Baloch community, there are uh, extremists and terrorists who the state is trying to wipe out. Now, the, the, the problem is that um, what you need at the moment are the gov both governments, Iran and Pakistan, need to attempt some kind of um, peace and reconciliation with their own population. And we are not seeing that at all. For many years, we haven't seen that. The insurgency in Pakistan has been going on for nearly 50 years. Um, in Iran, it, it's, it's something similar. Um, so what you have, bringing this to an end, is it cannot be left to the Israelis or the Americans or anyone else. It has to be the local governments have to empower their own people and, and uh, encourage development and other such things so that the young people do not head towards uh, the militant road. And Ms. Lodi, Mr. Morandi is saying that one of the reasons that Balochistan is so underdeveloped is because of American sanctions. Is that the only reason Balochistan has uh, mineral riches, it has gold and zinc and oil and gas, it provides around half of the countries of Pakistan's energy needs, and yet something like half of its cities don't have access to the natural gas? Well, I think there have been problems of underdevelopment in Balochistan. There's no question about that. But the Pakistani federal government has been trying uh, in recent years to address that issue. But what has not helped is, of course, Pakistan's grave economic crisis, uh, which has left the country cash-strapped. So I think there are many dimensions uh, to this issue. But I do think this uh, suggestion that Pakistan does not have control of Balochistan, I think it's preposterous. Of course it has control. Uh, of uh, uh, Balochistan. But what it is struggling against are the activities of certain terrorist groups. Uh, and that's not unusual. Uh, along this border uh, with Iran, as I said, both countries have had complaints, uh, they've made complaints to each other about the presence of militant groups on either side of the border. And I think that is what Pakistan has been trying to respond to. But if we look at the current situation, I think there is a need, as I said before, for de-escalation between Pakistan and Iran. Uh, after all, as I said before, these two countries had been improving relations in recent years. In fact, after the Saudi-Iranian rapprochement, which, as you know, was mediated by China, there was a real spurt in activity, diplomatic activity, between Tehran uh, and Islamabad. And we'd seen, in fact, an intensification uh, of efforts to improve trade uh, relations between the two countries. Now, you know, all of that now is going to take a backseat until the two countries are able to re-engage. Remember one thing, the two countries have not suspended diplomatic relations. They've recalled their ambassadors from each other's capital. Actually, Pakistan was the one that did that first. Mm -hmm. uh, but diplomatic relations have not been suspended. And therefore, there is room, I think, for diplomatics, this diplomatic space. There's room for the two countries to re-engage once tempers uh, come down once the temperature comes down. And I think that's what needs to be done. Uh, for Pakistan, it's crucial. Uh, it relation, the relationship with Iran for Pakistan has been a strategic compulsion uh, for an obvious reason, because Pakistan has troubled borders with India as well as with Afghanistan. And therefore, to have a normal, stable relationship with Iran has mm -hmm. been of utmost importance for Pakistan, and it remains so. 
So what I think is really perplexing, and it defies all logic, is why Iran chose at this point in time to carry out these strikes, not just against my country, but mm -hmm. also against in Syria and in Iraq. Uh, and at a time when Iran had managed to come out of its diplomatic isolation, it seems to have been you know, walking back into this uh, isolation in the region. Well, let's put that question to Mr. Morandi. Iran's certainly been very busy over the last few days. Strikes in Iraq on what it says is an Israeli spy base in Kurdish um, Iraq in Erbil. It also carried out attacks in Syria. Um, it said on groups that are linked to ISIL and who are responsible for the attack in Kerman two weeks ago. Can Iran afford to be fighting on another front? Well, Iran is not fighting Pakistan, but I'll get to that in, in a moment. The strike on Syria was not on territory held by the Syrian government. It was held, the territory is held by terrorist groups. It was the Turkestan Islamic Party, which has members from China, Central Asia, and it's, a, it's very closely associated with ISIS. So the Syrian government would definitely be happy that the Iranians carried out that attack. In Kurdish Iraq, this is an old problem, and uh, Iran has carried out strikes before, and it's no secret that there are terrorist bases there. International media does documentaries on it. They go to those bases, they meet the members of those terror groups, and they often, Western media glorify, glorifies them. So what's going on in northern Iraq is, is no, there's no controversy about it. With regards to what happened with Pakistan, uh, as the previous guest rightly said, there, were, there was a delegation in Pakistan. The Iranians were not planning an attack. What happened was, as you know, we had a series of terror attacks near the Pakistani border, and when, in one, 100 people were killed. That was, of course, ISIS and most probably Israel, a different group, but they came in through Pakistan. Not that the Pakistani yeah, government Morandi, had anything there's... to do with it. Yeah, but, just let me finish. The final point. Uh, this group was about, Jaysh al-Adl, was about to carry out another strike. They had gathered in their two bases. They were about to leave towards the border. The Iranians had 30 minutes to make a decision. The people in the field made that decision that we have to prevent this attack, otherwise there will be another outrage. The government has an elections in a few weeks. We have parliamentary elections, and people are very angry with the government that they've allowed 100 people, that under their watch, 100 people were killed in Kerman, 11 soldiers were killed alongside the border a few weeks ago. So they made that decision. It was a tough call. and But I think hopefully now the Iranian government and the Pakistani government will have to sit down together and really find a solution for okay. the border. They have to create an infrastructure so that terrorists and smuggling, terrorism and smuggling will come to an end yeah. there. And, and, and certainly both countries say that they don't want an escalation. Mr. Rashid, how much do you think both countries are playing to their domestic uh, audience, domestic pressures here with these attacks? Mr. Mirandi mentioned himself the elections that are coming up in, in Iran. The Iranian public is not happy about the worst attack uh, on Iranian territory, the one in Kerman two weeks ago, since the founding of the Islamic Republic in 1979. There is an election, general election, coming up in Pakistan next month, too. I do think that this is a, a very important factor that has also been missed out upon, that both countries, Iran and Pakistan, 
uh, are facing um, a failure in their counterterrorism policies so far. Pakistan is faced with terrorism, not just in Balochistan, but much more in the Northwest Frontier, um, a province where um, uh, they're battling um, the TTP, which is a Pakistani Taliban group that is organized in Afghanistan and crosses the border and launches attacks inside Pakistan. And Iran has, had had a spate of uh, terrorist attacks recently, with, with nu numerous people calling out various um, uh, uh, um, various people being accused of being uh, helping that along. But the fact is, both countries have not been successful so far. And yes, it it is uh, it, it, it's a cliche to say this, but um, it is and it, it is has to be said that w one way that they can divert domestic attention on the eve of, an, of elections, um, diverted domestic attention to precisely um, uh, in include the fact that they are um, uh, not winning the war against terrorism, uh, I think it's a very important factor. And uh, uh, until governments, certainly governments have control of their region and their areas, but they don't have control in winning the war against terrorism. That continues. Pakistan has been beleaguered in this aspect for a very long time going back to the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan and the flood of refugees that came across then. Um, so Iran and Pakistan have mm -hmm. got very similar problems, which they're not yet being able to tackle jointly in a, in a, in a, in a more friendly manner. All right. Uh, Ms. Lothi, we have Iran's Revolutionary Guard saying that it will launch large-scale military exercises in the country's southeast near Pakistan. Do you think Islamabad could see this as a provocation following these attacks? No, I think Islamabad is reassured that once it has taken the action that it has taken, uh, it was aimed at deterring any further strikes by Iran. And in fact, Pakistan's strike into uh, Iran was also designed to signal to any other country which may contemplate similar action and try to come into Pakistani territory. So I think uh, Pakistan is uh, quite uh, confident that what it has done, and it has done it in a very measured way, in a very uh, proportionate way. But I do want to respond to what Emma just said uh, about Pakistan and Iran having similar problems. I think there can't be two countries more dissimilar uh, in how they have confronted some of their domestic issues. Uh, we in Pakistan do have an election, uh, but that doesn't mean that uh, the action Pakistan took was meant to divert attention away from the election. Quite the contrary. Uh, Pakistan didn't start this fight. It was initiated by Iran, as you well know. Uh, and for Pakistan to take the position that it did and then to strike, I think was also designed to show that if Iran thought that Pakistan's army was preoccupied with election duties, which of course elections are only two and a half weeks away, uh, well, they were mistaken. Uh, and the signal was very much that don't underestimate Pakistan's ability uh, and the means that it has to retaliate, and retaliate it did. But as I said before, Pakistan does not wish to inflame the situation. There is a okay. need to de-escalate, and I think we will see uh, efforts towards de-escalation in the coming days. Okay, Mr. Morandi, do you think that Iran has got that signal? You said that this attack was carried out because they had information that they had half an hour to act on. What if they receive information 
um, again, that these groups are, are planning another attack? Is it going to risk inflaming the relationship with Pakistan again at this point? Well, I think, first of all, we shouldn't misread the situation. The fact is that 100 Iranians were killed, and uh, they were all innocent civilians, and they went as families. And uh, many of them were women, many of them were children who died in Cameroon. And the 11 soldiers who were uh, killed alongside the border, they were young men. And we had a series of other killings uh, near the Pakistani border over the past few weeks. All of them young men, all of them having families. The Iranian government is responsible for the safety of ordinary Iranians. At the same time, Iran uh, wants to preserve the best of ties with Pakistan. Uh, the two countries have to secure the border. Uh, Pakistan has to do more to secure its side of the border. The Iranians uh, have to help Pakistan in that regard. Hopefully, this will not be necessary. Any maneuvers in the southeast of Iran are in order to make sure that that area is secure. It has nothing to do with the Pakistani government. I think there are third parties that have a very, that have a vested interest in creating division, mm -hmm. divisions between Iran and Pakistan, and people may get emotional. But the fact is that the bond between Iran and Pakistan is very strong. Okay. And uh, that the terrorists will not be able to, and their backers will not be able to create a divide okay. and distract attention away from Gaza. Mr. Rashid, when Mr. Morandi talks about how the two countries have to work together to secure this border, it's a 900-kilometer-long border, very mountainous, very porous. How can they do that? It's something that they haven't been able to do yet. Well, I, I, I think it's premature to be able to, th to even talk about the border when there are so many tensions on the ground. Uh, the tension between states, uh, Iran and Pakistan, um, which I hope will get um, at least pulled down uh, in, in the next few weeks and months as, as uh, both sides come together and deal with this in a diplomatic way. Um, but the other, I, I go back to what I said originally, that unless there's going to be a, a more serious um, attempt to, to look at the uh, deprivation of the Baloch in both Iran and in Pakistan and improve the quality of life that they, they have or don't have, at the moment, um, you're going to get uh, these areas like Baluchistan and like the Northwest Frontier are going to be breeding grounds for terrorism. And what is needed is a strategy, a policy, um, which addresses some of the local domestic um, issues. Uh, and, and that, unfortunately, both countries, Iran and mm -hmm. Pakistan, have not been very good at doing. Ms. Lodi, do you think that that is something the Pakistani government is capable of doing after, you know, 70 years of people in Balochistan uh, fighting for greater autonomy? No, I, I think you, you are completely mistaken in depicting it that way. There are groups there which are foreign-sponsored and foreign-supported, uh, which are active, but by no means do they represent the mainstream of Baloch opinion. Uh, yes, Pakistan does need to address underdevelopment in Balochistan. But I think if we look at the Pakistan-Iran dynamic right now, I think there is, uh, let's not forget that there has been intelligence cooperation between the two countries on dealing with Daesh. So both countries have a lot to lose if mm -hmm. this uh, the tensions continue. So I think we are going to, I mean, I at least it's my hope 
that we will see uh, not just de-escalation, but a serious effort by both sides uh, to agree on the kind of border management that addresses the security concerns of both countries. All right, Mr. Mirandi, just lastly, we don't have very long uh, left in the program. China is a close ally. Both countries is urging restraint. Do you see China playing a role in here or is it not necessary? Um, China could play a role. I mean, perhaps since, as your previous guest pointed out, Pakistan has economic difficulties, perhaps China, for their own interest, could help uh, create uh, part of the border infrastructure to protect the borders and help prevent terrorism and smuggling. Uh, but I think that what Ahmad says is, is true. Iran, for example, has tried to develop uh, the country. It's, it's a somewhat left-leaning country anyway. But Iran has been under sanctions. Some of the, as I said, some of the projects went with Pakistan haven't gone All through right. because of the Americans, but also the economic, the economy has struggled. And both Iran and Pakistan have to do more All for right, their Mr. populations to make it deprived, deprived felt, feel better engaged in society. Mr. Morandi, thank you very much for that. I'm afraid we'll run out, run out of time, but thank you to all of our guests, Ahmed Rashid in Lahore, Mahliha Lodi in Islamabad, and Mohammed Morandi in Mashhad. This episode was produced by Mohammed El Aishi, Fintan Monahan, Veronica Pedrosa, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Mohammed Usman. The program was edited by George Joseph, Lynn Nguyen, Vanessa Keneally, and Joe DeFries. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening and tune in on Friday for our next edition. On the next Necessary Tomorrows, an asteroid with enough minerals to completely transition Earth to green energy is discovered. But we found it. A bountiful supply of nickel and cobalt that will save our planet many times over. But should the materials go to everyone? or just those with the power to get them first. If anyone can take those minerals, we'll only be rewarding greed. The guiding principle in all exploration is first come, first served. A Feast for Cobalt on Necessary Tomorrows, a new podcast by Doha Debates and Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.